Welcome to another tab, one more episode of Sales with Aslan. I'm your host, Tom Stanfield, and I'm here with my, I'm going to go with super duper co-host today. Mm, I always get a superlative, always. Have you noticed that? You don't ever go, and my co-host tab, Norris. You've never said that. Super, super duper (laughs) co-host. Super duper. Dr. Tab Norris. We're back to the doctor. (laughs) Well, super duper is just is just like an affectionate term for how amazing you are. Doctor yeah. is something you've earned. I mean, you yeah, oh yeah, I've definitely earned that. Yeah. There's no doubt about it. So <laughs> that's, that's that's I'm just glad I can share with my patients things <laughs> that I've learned. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but Tab, on to the show today. Tab, yeah. we have a we have a legitimate show today. A lot of times our shows are illegitimate. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of your best lines. Today, our show is legitimate. We have probably one of the most notable authorities on sales. It's not me, Tab. I know. He's he's in the top three, at least. No, he probably, I mean, he really might be the most well-known thought leader in sales. He's definitely the most prolific writer. He's written 14 books. He's a best-selling author four times over. He has 29 million downloads of his podcast, Sales Gravy. So today, we're excited to have Jeb Blunt in the house and on the show. Well, welcome, Jeb Blunt. I can't believe we actually have him on the show tab. I, I mean, we tried for years. I mean, he years. was on Carson. He was on Letterman. He's been on Fallon. And now we have him on Sales with Aslan. I can't believe it. Jeb, welcome. Thanks for being with us, my friend. Thank you for having me on your podcast. This is fantastic <laughs> to get a chance to meet you. Oh, no, seriously. We, we, I think of the word sales and I can't think of the word sales without thinking of Jeb Blunt. Uh, we were just talking about before we went live about how you've written 14 books on sales. So super excited about what you're going to share with us. Uh, Tab, Tab, I mean, have we had a, have we had a better guest? That's no, a tough question. No, it's not a really tough question. I'm going with no. I'm, no. I haven't really, I haven't really talked to him yet too much, yeah. but I'm going to go say no. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be tied for all of our other guests. It could be a tie. Uh, I'm not going to well, be able to walk out of this door. So. <laughs> uh, it could be a tie. Yeah. Uh, well, Jeb, love it. You're a Georgia boy. Yeah. So yes. were, you, were you born in Georgia? Yeah, born and raised. I grew up in a little town called Harlem, Georgia, and uh, I went to Augusta University, and uh, the rest okay. of my family went to the University of Georgia. I, I went there because I was too stupid to get into University of Georgia, <laughs> and um, and uh, and I've I've traveled you know I've traveled all over the place. I lived all over the country when I you know yeah. my corporate my corporate job. If I wanted to get promoted, I would move. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but Georgia is my home. Met my wife in high school in Georgia, and still live in Georgia. Live in wow. Thompson, Georgia. Okay, wow. we're That's both a... Georgia boys. I I grew up in Savannah, and I live in Athens, Georgia now. So been here for about sixteen years. So Athens yeah, is a Athens is a wonderful place. And it's a good uh, place. Yeah, my 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 dad's side of the family is all from Savannah. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Wow. Well, and I was I was actually born in in Georgia. I was born in Atlanta. I mean, I mean, this is a very unusual yeah, occurrence. I mean, most people yeah. that are that live in Georgia, or especially Atlanta, are not from Atlanta. So, a lot of natives here. Well, great, great to. Well, I'm excited. I wanted before we dive into your your new book, which I'm very, very pumped to talk about because it's a topic all of our clients are talking about: is how do you deal with the price increase? Uh, I would love to first know where your passion came. 
uh, where did that develop to, to be a thought leader and a sales expert and to spend all of the energy and time invested in helping sales reps get better? Because obviously, like you said uh, earlier, before we went live, you, you write two books a year. Obviously, you're running a global company that, that trains sales sellers how to be better at their job and make more money, earn more commission, win more deals. Um, so tell it, where did that passion come from? All right, I'm gonna try. To, I'm, I'm from Georgia. Okay, remember. Okay, all right. so I'm gonna try to do <laughs> well, this. you don't I, talk I slow. You I don't talk slow. Say, so, um, so it for me, it started in high school. I was, uh, yeah. I, I was. Uh, it was my junior year in high school. I wanted to find something easy to do, so I joined the yearbook staff. Okay. And it turned out that you had to sell ads, so I got my ad sheets. I went out, and uh, most people sold, you know, a couple hundred dollars worth of ads to their parents. And I went out yeah. and sold almost four thousand dollars worth of ads. <laughs> wow! And um, you know, I just I just knocked Love on it. doors and called on people and asked for the business and came back in. They made me the boss. I got to be the the uh, the editor of the yearbook uh, that really made everybody else mad because they'd all been waiting around. Yeah. So, I made it rain um, that made me money. And then I, I jumped into a couple of other jobs. I mean, at one point I was running Nutrisystem weight loss centers all over Georgia. Oh, uh, in Atlanta. When I, okay. Yeah, when I was 23 years old, I, you know, I was, um, I was the area manager from, I had everything from Northridge Hills to Savannah. And, uh, and that was a sales job. And I got that job because I went in uh, really young and, uh, and I, I talked them into giving me a shot and I said, give me a, you give me a prospect. If I close it, you got to give me the job. And they gave me a, they gave me the prospect and I went in the, 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 you know, took the lady on the tour, did everything yeah. I'd learned in training. And, um, and I'm like, I'm in the middle of my pitch and she's got her checkbook out and she starts writing and I'm trying to slow her down just a little bit because they're all <laughs> watching me to see what's going to happen. So in pure luck. And then, you know, just, I just ended up doing sales jobs because I, mm -hmm. I don't know if I was drawn to it or what have you, but I was good at it. And, yeah. uh, and I, and that's so much, you know, I got, I got a lot of luck and, and I was willing to work harder than most people. I'm, I'm not generally the best salesperson in the world, but I'll outwork you any day. So, yeah. I, yeah. you know, and then every time I made it rain, I got promoted. And so, you know, I started working with a company when I was 24 years old, fortune 200 company. When I was 32 years old, I was the head of sales. I mean, it was one of those wow. things where if you could make it rain, you could go. But along mm -hmm. the way, what I kept getting drawn into was like at Nutrisystem, I was area manager, where I had the most fun was teaching the people that were around me how to do the job. And when I became a vice president of sales, my most fun was to get on airplanes, go spend time with my salespeople, get in the field, get in cars, go hang out with them, Help go coach them. Coach them. Yeah. And in fact, when I, when I ended up leaving that job, it was because I was spending more time in meetings than I was with my field sales team. So, um, so I, you know, I, I was in a place where I was looking for something else. And, uh, fortunately for me, the great recession came along and it found me something else to do. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. job, that yeah. job went away. It was a job that I love more than anything in the world. So that job went away. So in 2006, 2007, um, I had to go figure out what I was going to do. And so I wrote a book and, um, you know, I'm sitting at the kitchen table with my wife trying to figure out, am I going to go back into corporate America, yeah, which I could have right. easily done. In fact, I was interviewing for a CEO job at a really big company at the time. And I just realized my heart was not in getting back on that hamster wheel. So yeah. the only thing that I know how to do and do well is sell. Well, horses and sell. So I can do horses and I can do sales and that's about it. <laughs> so you can't make any money at horses. That's a yeah. losing battle. So yeah. I, uh, you know, I just, I love I, it. I just followed that, you know, that thing that, that I just had figured out along the way. Yeah. 
and probably more than anything, you know, over the last, um, you know, say 14, 15 years. And you, you earlier in the pre-show, we were talking about sales EQ, yeah. but it, it's, um, it was figuring out how to put in and articulate in the words, the things that, that I knew how to do from mm -hmm. a sales professional standpoint and from a sales leadership standpoint in a way that was accessible to everybody that and just wasn't worked. the same mm -hmm. old, like the same tropes that you typically get in sales books and a lot of the same cliches. And mm -hmm. how do you actually break down the science and the art of this profession and elevate the profession? And that's really been the, I, I guess the joy of the last 15 years has been doing that, but also it's been, you know, it's been tough. I mean, you know, tr sometimes when you're trying to think about how do you say something in a way or teach something in a way that people can really grasp yeah. that doesn't cause them to say, you know, just, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I heard it all before. Right. Um, that I think has been the, the fun part of the last 15 years. But that's, I mean, that's in a nutshell, sort of the story of how yeah. I got yeah. here. Um, essentially, bottom line is I can't do anything else. Well, you know, Jeb, I love one of my one, in one of your books. You shared the story of your first big deal. I think you were twenty yeah. something when you you talked about. You know, I, I was able to go. It took me a couple of years, and I was able to buy a five thousand square foot house and and put some money in the bank. And I just and I was like, you know, I'm sure that's just triggered a lot of this passion and all this uh, your your desire to kind of go down this road. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the things I learned early in sales was that you could be Babe Ruth, you know, sitting at the plate, pointing yeah. to the stands, where am I going to hit the ball? <laughs> right. And I, and I recognize that through your own hustle, your own grind, you yeah. know, your own desire, you could accomplish those things. So I mean, you know, early on in my, um, in my career, I had a goal book and I wrote down, you know, mm -hmm. I want to be on the water. Now I didn't know what that was, but I just know that I wanted a house on the water and yeah. that and that translated into, you know, five years later, I bought a house on the intercoastal waterway in South Florida in the Naples area where wow. I parked my 42 foot sea ray behind my house, much to my wife's chagrin because she didn't like that boat. <laughs> yeah. um, but, uh, but I was able to I was able to go buy that house with mm. cash. Yeah. Right? because of commission checks. I mean, these were this was because of variable income and bonuses and spiffs that I earned along the way by making it rain. And and that was a you know a, a huge accomplishment. And yeah. um and I think that the that's what I love the most about selling. And I sell every day, just like I'm sure you do in your own business. Mm -hmm. But every day I'm waking up, I'm doing deals, I'm having conversations with customers and um I do it at a little bit of a different level because there's usually people who are bringing them along before I right. get to them. Mm -hmm. But 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 knowing that you can make your own luck mm -hmm. is the thing that I like the most about mm. professional yeah, selling. selling. Yeah. And um and and mm. and a lot of people do it very poorly. I mean, there's that's the reason we all exist, right? But <laughs> right. a lot of people a lot of people do it very, very well, but they have a very hard time translating what they do very well into something that other people can understand and learn, which is another reason why we exist because essentially like we're, we're translating that language and we're giving it back to people well, yeah. in their organization in a way that they can understand it. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love what you, you, I would kind of summarize a lot of what you said by saying this about sales. Sales is probably the only maybe profession where you can make a lot of money if you choose to make a lot of money. In other words, it's a choice. Success in sales is really a choice. If you're if you're willing to work work the the process and do the work and learn it, you will be successful in sales. You may not like it, you might enjoy it, but success is a choice. 
Yeah. And I that's kind of what and, you're saying. Yeah. And for me, it was, you know, honestly, it was never about the money. Like, I don't know yeah. that I ever did a deal because there was a paycheck at the end. Yeah. Um, now, you know, I, when I started my business, I did a few deals because I needed the money. But, um, but right. when I was, you know, when I was selling, I didn't. I just, I did it because I liked fixing things. Like, I liked solving yeah. the problems. I enjoyed the game. Like, sometimes yeah. it yeah. was... Just looking at a deal where competitively, I you know I I had a, a, a poor hand, mm -hmm. and then being able to bend the probability back into my favor by changing the shape of the deal or changing the shape of the sales process, right? Or mm -hmm. putting my competitor in a bad spot, you know, from on the chessboard so that I could you know eat their lunch someplace else. It was um, right. it was helping people, and that's you know I think one of the especially with sales one of the things that I hear often. And I, and I understand the sentiment, which is, you know, you need to be passionate about what you're selling. Mm -hmm. And for, for me, most of my life, I didn't sell things that I was particularly passionate about. I mean, in my business today, I do. I love what I sell. Right. But most of my life, I sold things that, you know, it was, it was a thing that I sold. What I was passionate about was being able to get inside of my customers' businesses mm. and really get to understand them, like mm. walking through their businesses, having conversations with them, right. and solving problems for them, sometimes problems that didn't pay me, right? Just but fixing a problem for them and mm. creating that level of loyalty, that's what I really enjoyed. I, I enjoyed the the process and the system and mm. the and the art and putting the puzzle together. And I've and I and I and I think that to some extent that's one of the things that made me successful is that it wasn't about the money; it was about yeah. winning. Like I it wanted to yeah. win. It wasn't just about hey, I love this product; I want to sell this product, which yeah. is really about you. And it wasn't that I want a commission, which is really about you. It's really about leading customers to the optimum solution. It's solving their problem. That's kind of the way mm -hmm. we define sales is all you're really doing is you need to own the problem and lead them to the ultimate optimum solution. And so whether that's one product, 10 products, it's a solution, but it's all about solving their problem. And that's fun. And there's the other side of obviously the winning of beating the competition and that that's got to that's got to motivate you. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it's because you have a better solution, right? Yeah. Because if you're pursuing something where the competitor has a much better solution, you need to go serve people where you can really help them, not just try to beat the competition. Uh, I want to ask you one quick question. And this is, this is a, a question that I've asked myself or, or other people many times, is I look at people that are very successful in sales, right? And they have a tr tough time transitioning from doing to teaching. Uh, and I know you built a career out of helping people teach sellers or you teach sellers how to sell. But when you made that transition from, I know how to do this to now I'm going to lead others and help them. A lot of people was like, watch me. Well, that doesn't work. So is there any tips that you can share to the seller who wants to move into leadership or the leader who's listening, who wants to do a better job of translating what worked for them to their team? Fortunately for me, I had really good mentors along the way. So one of my early mentors was uh, Mary Gardner from, she lives up in Marietta. Okay. And she was one of my early bosses when I was with Nutrisystem. And yeah. she really focused on teaching me how to put the needs of the people that work for me ahead of my own. So wow. you know, the, okay. the problem for a lot of salespeople is, and especially, you know, if you're a driven competitive salesperson is that you, and, and this is, this is part of a good, you know, sales specific emotional intelligence is that you right. win for the sake of winning. Like you wake yeah. up every day and competition drives you. Like mm -hmm. when it's one of those things where, you know, the ball's on the one yard line and there's one second <laughs> left on the clock and you're the person looking at the coach going, give me the ball. Right, like that right. is a, that is a great 
uh, a great thing for a salesperson to have that that level of competitiveness, a need for achievement, optimism, yeah. all those yeah. things matter for salespeople. The problem is, is that when you move from that particular role, which is in, in some ways a self-centric, even almost a narcissistic way of looking yeah. at the world. I want to win. Yeah. yeah. Into a leadership role. Now I, I need everyone else to win and I got to take the back seat. So I'm right. holding a team up, right? right? Rather than them holding me up. And mm. so what Mary taught me was how to do that. So I, and I mean, when I say taught me, I'm talking a ba about a baseball bat to the head most days because <laughs> I was yeah. failing at it. And then I had leaders along the way, Roger McKee, Chris Dodd, Steve Donnelly. You know, I can just, I can list leaders along the way That's that cool. gave me, yeah. you know, mm. gave me coaching and gave me help. Mm -hmm. uh, I can also take you back to, you know, at a time when I was vice president of sales and we were struggling because we were we were promoting great salespeople from the inside of our organization. Mm -hmm. And we were doing it because they were holding us hostage. I mean, these are our best right. salespeople. And they're saying, look, if you don't promote me, I'm leaving. And yeah, by the way, right. I did the same thing. I mean, I got yeah. promoted to the sales manager because I told my yep. boss, if you don't promote me, I'm out of here. <laughs> so I decided we the same thing. Yeah. I'm going to leave. I got a job. Yeah. I got, yeah, exactly. And, and, and so we would promote them and then they would blow the sales team up. Right. So what we learned early on as a leadership group was that if we didn't promote people from inside, if we were brought people from the outside, it created cultural problems because right. we didn't show our salespeople a career path. Right. And, and so what we had to do was... Um, was switched the way we were looking at the world. And so we can't just promote a person into that job. We got to prepare them for the job way ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So we started 12 months in advance picking people who looked like they had the opportunity and, and our top salespeople. And we put them through a very systematic process of teaching them how to run a business, teaching about coaching, giving them other people to mentor so that they mm. had to be in a situation where they had to put their own needs away. Mm. Um, and, and, and we would train them how to become a leader and a teacher. So to mm. answer your question is, there's not something that you're going to switch on in your mind that's going to go, oh, I'm, I'm suddenly I'm really good at this because right. you're, you're not going to be. If you're a really good top level salesperson, there's a couple of things that you need to take into account. One is you're probably going to make less money as a sales manager. Mm -hmm. So because of that, you've got to really, really want to be passionate and be passionate about helping other people, other people being a reach servant to other people right, yeah. and, and taking care of them. Um, you got to do that. You got to understand that that's exactly what we said. Principle number one is that you need them more than they need you. Yeah. And your paycheck, look at it. It is because of them, not you. So you got to manage that team that way. And then the third thing is that you got to prepare yourself. That means go read a book. I mean, I've got mm -hmm. a, a wonderful book and this is a book plug, but I run a book yeah. called People Follow You. Go read People Follow You. But yeah. there are you know, Ken Blanchard's written tons of amazing mm. books on leadership. Uh, yeah. They're everywhere. Pat Lencioni. Mm. I mean, just go read leadership books. Go meet other leaders. Go find mm. someone to mentor you. Go ask your boss, hey, can I help the new salesperson? And go like go work with the new salesperson and, and get involved in their world. And if you're already a leader and you want to get better at this, but first mm. thing I would do is go look in the mirror and ask yourself, do you really, truly, in your heart, believe that you need your salespeople more than they need you? Because until yeah. you get that, nothing's going to change in your world. No. And, and these are like, I mean, these are kind of big umbrella, principles. philosophical yeah. principles. Yeah. But that's just the truth. And the thing about mm. sales leadership, like selling, and you work with a bunch of different industries, but selling can shift from industry to industry. Oh, it can yeah. shift from short cycle to long cycle. Uh, there are, you know, there are different ways to run sales processes. There, you know, project-based selling is different than software selling. I mean, there's just mm -hmm. different ways of doing things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they take different skill sets. 
leadership, sales leadership as a rule does not change in terms of the discipline of sales leadership from role from you know company to company, industry to right. industry, sales mm -hmm. role to sales role. The core principles of you know of training, observing, coaching, and following up and giving feedback to your people, which is all really a sales leader does. Right. That doesn't change, and the system and mechanism for doing those things doesn't change. So as a leader, you can easily hone those skills, and it's not industry-specific, trust me on this. And mm -hmm. as a sales professional, if you want to make that move, mm -hmm. you have to be prepared to give up your own ego for the mm -hmm. ego of other people. You have to be prepared to serve other people. You have to be prepared to coach and training and develop and make less money in many cases than your salespeople are making and not take the glory. Like that's right. what you have to do. And if you if you have that in your heart, it's wonderful. Like I love being a sales leader. I mean, it was like having my own tribe. Like it was the yeah. greatest job I ever had was just being my first line, frontline sales manager. I love that job. I would go back to it any day. It's fantastic, but, but, it, but it begins with that place. And fortunately for me, I had a lot of training along the way and mentors mm -hmm. along the way before they gave me the keys to a sales team and I took over. And that, that, yeah. all that training and all that investment that other people made in me kept made me from blowing the sales team up, yeah. And you, yeah, if I, I love some of the things you just said there, well, look, I actually love it all. I agree with everything that you said. And I, 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 my main thing I wanted to underscore is you said people, basically you're saying people will follow you if you're for them. Yes. And, and so there's really a self-centered reason to be what we call other centered, right? If you help people get what they want, they're going to ultimately hit, you're going to hit your number if you help them hit their number. But if you, all it's about you and your whiteboard and what you care about, and you're trying to get them to hit your number, nobody cares about your number as a sales leader. But that's also true for a rep, right? The customer's going to follow you if you're for them. If you're trying to help them solve a problem, you're trying to help them come up with the best solution, the customer's going to follow you. Yeah. But if you're about your commission, you're going to have commission breath, your motive is ultimately transparent, and no one's going to listen to you. Yeah, basically, if you think about it, when as a leader, the people that work for you are asking two basic questions. Yeah. Question number one is, do you have my best interest at heart? They're just asking yeah. that question. This and the second question is, yeah, can you get me in position to win? Yeah. And mm -hmm. so one is about relationship, one is about trust. And that is 70 to 80% of the job itself is, is, cool. is helping wow, people understand that. And you probably worked for people where you knew they didn't have your best interest at heart. You know that they were just trying to advance their career. Yep. I've been there too. It's a very... Probably the best way of saying it is just a yucky, ugly feeling when you know that mm -hmm. that person yeah. really doesn't care about you. But I've, I've worked for those sales managers, those sales leaders who everything that they were doing was about you. And the cool thing about those leaders is there were sometimes when they were, when they were, they like their foot up your rear end, they yeah. were having very, really hard, like conversations, no Novocaine, right? Just yeah. difficult conversations. <laughs> and you, no, and no. you were leaning into them and you would run through a wall for them because you knew yeah. that they were doing it because they because loved you. you. Yeah. Like they wanted yeah, you great. to be better. Yeah. That's the yeah. difference. That's yeah. yeah. It all goes back to why are you telling me this? What is your motive? If it's for, if it's about helping me, why wouldn't I embrace it? And some people struggle with it because they've got issues. But, but yeah, that's great. I love it. Yeah, beautiful. And I know that wasn't our topic du jour, but it was it was brilliant. Uh, all right, we got to talk about the new book because I'm personally very excited about this book. Uh, I think it's a, a topic that everybody's facing right now: how to raise prices without losing customers. Which yes. also, I, I think the book. You know, I didn't read the whole book, but I but I looked at 
the, the table of contents. It also, you get into basic price objections and just dealing with price objections. And so what I love about one of the things I love about the way you write is, is you go deeper. You don't just give, you know, just offer mm -hmm. sort of cliche, do this techniques, tips and tricks. You go deeper. And one of the first things you talk about is fear, right? Like we're dealing with what's keeping what's inside of me that's keeping me from being successful when I'm dealing with price increases. You talk about the five fear. So talk, talk about that a little bit. Let's start there. Let's talk about what we need to do internally before we're ready to face price objection or to have that tough conversation about raising price. Yeah. Well, if you think about a price increase, now, and what, let's be clear, what we're talking about is price increases to existing customers. So these are right. customer price increases. Mm -hmm. So I've got a relationship with you, hopefully, you know, right. and I've, I've been serving you or right. work with you. You work my company. If you're a business owner, this could be a mm -hmm. big, a big client of yours that if you don't raise their prices, you're going to go broke. I mean, right. it could be any of those things. So you've got a relationship. And so what do you fear the most in that? You fear that there's going to be conflict and rejection. Because nobody likes a price increase. You don't mm -hmm. want to sell it. They don't want to buy it. Really yeah. simple stuff. Yeah. So when you go to any customer, an existing customer, and you bring them a price increase, they are not going to welcome you with open arms. Not. Yeah. Mm -hmm. no, they're not going to be happy. And, and, this, and the, the point of a, selling a price increase is not to make your customer happy. It's yeah. to get them to accept it without leaving you. Because those right. are the, that's the point. And we have to get price increases because um, it's good for the Cost business. Goes up. The business Cost goes right. up. Yeah. Everything goes up. And, and sometimes mm -hmm. we can because we need to make more profit. So yeah. we fear that. We fear that then in some cases that maybe we failed them in the past Mm -hmm. And are we, there was a service issue or a quality issue. We fear they're going to bring that back up and throw that in their face. We fear that we're going to lose the customer. I mean, yeah, that could happen. Like if I go to a customer and I bring them a price increase, mm -hmm. I might lose them. Now, deep in the mm -hmm. book, I make the case for why you probably won't lose your customer because customers don't want to leave you. This is status quo bias on mm -hmm. the account management side, right? It's, it's a tough mm -hmm. thing when you're selling new logos, but when you have the customer, it's in your favor and, and how it costs time, money, and emotion for them to leave you. So unless you're doing really stupid stuff, right. it's <laughs> unlikely that your customer is going to, to leave you. But we fear that. And, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, and, and we fear they're not going to like us anymore. I mean, it's a big thing. Like, if, especially when you've got customers. I don't know. I'm sure you probably have customers. Like, I got customers of my friends. I mean, they, yeah. they weren't my friends before they were customers. They became right, yeah. my friends over the years <clears throat> of working with them. I got customers I've been working with for 12 years. And, you know, and I, I know everything about them and their business. I know about their families. And so you go to them and say, look, I got to give you a price increase. It doesn't feel very good about that. And you're afraid that it's going to fracture the relationship. Right. And, and if it's a new relationship, it could fracture the relationship. So those are the things that salespeople fear. And, yeah. and, and if we, if you're a sales leader, we were just talking about leader, this is important for you to understand because you can't just go tell your salespeople, well, just let it roll off your bat, go have the conversations right. because it doesn't work that way. Doesn't sales address people, it. Yeah. Cause sales, look, here's what we're good at. We're good at making people happy. Mm -hmm. We're good yeah. at convincing them to do business with us by making mm -hmm. them happy. And we're really good at discounting. We're not yeah. good at going to get price increases. <laughs> we love a good really discount. good discount. Yeah. yeah. I got we great got news. Yeah. New price is lower. Yeah. Yeah. So, so th those are the five. I come with so, that naturally. Yeah. yeah. So I think the, on the flip side of that, those five fears are often unfounded. Those are things that we make up in our head, especially our right. customer is going to leave us. Mm -hmm. On the flip side of that, those fears can be really real. Like if you do the wrong things, 
you know, if you if you avoid talking to your customer until the very last minute and you drop a big price increase in their lap and they can't yeah. deal with it or it impacts their bonuses or they can't pass on their customers or it disrupts mm-hmm. their business, mm-hmm. you could create a lot of resentment in doing that. If you don't have a relationship with your customer, like you haven't talked to, to, to them forever, and then the first time they see you in six months as you walk through the door and go, hey, we got to <laughs> do a price increase, that could be a problem, create resentment. If if you if you send the price increase via email versus having a conversation with them, or you know if you if if you get assigned a new customer and this is really bad, and, yeah. and a, it's something that that leaders and organizations and marketers everybody needs to understand this. If you've reassigned a bunch of accounts and now you're running a price increase initiative mm-hmm. and you want the the account managers to go talk to customers they've never met before. Like the dumbest, stupidest thing that you can possibly do is the very first conversation that you ever have with a customer is I got to give I mean, you a price your increase. Price, yeah, bad, bad right? idea. So, right, so so there are some there are some tactics for setting that up and setting the mm-hmm. stage, and you know in some cases if you need to re-engage the relationship, go do a, you know, a quarterly mm-hmm. business review. Like sit down with them and solve a few problems. Get way ahead of it. Same thing for sales leaders. Don't just dump a price increase onto your sales team and say, you got one week, you know, get it, get ahead build of build a process quarter, right? in exactly. that. Yeah. Find out so, what's important to them. How can you better serve them? Exactly. And then do some, do, you know, serve them well, and then build a yes. case for build a relationship to where you can then make it. You're basically, you don't want to start off with making a withdrawal from an emotional bank account that has zero. It's at zero. <laughs> exactly. You're going into the negative. Yeah. You're going because, into the negative. Because in you know in the book we we talk about resentment and contempt, which are yeah. the gangrene of customer relationships. And so the a price increase because they don't want it delivered right. the wrong way can create resentment and contempt. Now, yeah. resentment alone may not cause you to lose your customer, especially if the customer doesn't really have any other choice but to do business with right. you. However, resentment in, in a heightened state can create a situation where they want to get get back at you. Like yeah. they, wanna, they want retribution. And that mm-hmm. retribution may come down the road at a contract renewal. It may come down the road when your competitor walks into their door a year from now um, or can come at, you know, down the road of them taking little pieces out of you or making you work harder. And mm. then if you push resentment into contempt, you're done. Because once yeah. you hit contempt, they're going to go find another competitor. Even, by the way, if it's not in their best interest, they will move their business because they will of make the way emotional that you deci- it. Yeah, they'll make emotional decision, yes. not a financial decision. If contempt, if it moves to contempt, there will they will do whatever they can, even if it even a costume. It's crazy. People don't understand how motions drive. Talk a little bit about uh, when there has been a previous issue. So like, and I've talked to a lot of sellers and 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 I'll say, why don't you talk about this product, right? Or why don't you have that conversation? And they'll say, well, because there was an issue about it or because this thing happened three years ago or whatever. How should they enter into a conversation where there has been a problem? Like, and they're yes. maybe feel embarrassed about it or it's legitimate. How do, how do they address that? If the problem was yesterday, you might want to sit down with your leadership team and have a conversation about whether or not you want to pass on the, the price increase. Right, good point. Now, I'm not, now, and we're talking about price increases where that are negotiable, price increases that you are taking to your customers and presenting to them. We're not talking about price increases that you're defending. So just to make sure we're, we're clear on this. Defending a price increase, and you need to be good at doing this, is typically driven by marketing. It's typically re- small relative to what people are buying from you. Mm-hmm. And it's typically something that you're willing to take some attrition on your customer base, typically right. smaller customers. Right. But but overall, you're going to be okay. So your only job is the customer calls you and says, I'm not paying that. 
you got to calm down, deal with it, deal with yeah. the objections, explain the price increase and move on. Right. But in larger accounts where you're going, and especially business to business accounts, and you're explaining a price increase, and let's say you've had some major service issues, delivery issues, maybe it was a quality or a product issue that shut down your customer's line. I mean, it could right. be any of those things. If you've had one of those recently, you may want to consider deferring the price increase just because you're you're probably not going to be able to to explain. I'm giving you a price right. increase and right now just, I blew up your business. So yeah, that's yeah. Probably work <laughs> is, it, is it timing too soon? Too soon? Uh, <laughs> if, yeah, exactly. Would this be a bad time to is ask this a bit too soon? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, so great. In, sorry in, about that. In the book, what I what I give you is a um, a risk profile tool or matrix. So as you go in and look at your accounts, you can look at um, you know, the status of quality and, and service. You mm. can look status of your relationships inside the organization. And then you can look at status of alternatives. So okay. what, are the, what are the business's alternatives to doing business with you, right? So if you had, a, you know, let's say you had some service and delivery issues, but they had no alternatives to doing business with you, you're yeah. probably in pretty good shape, right? You could probably go in, have a conversation, build the business case for the price increase, and you're going to be okay. If you had quality and service issues, you've got a great relationship. Mm -hmm. You've been able to be transparent and open about it. And by the way, you jumped in and fixed the problem. And a lot of businesses do that. Like I had a conversation with my vendors, one of my vendors this morning, and the vendor was contrite and apologized and said, yep, we misread this. We re we're, we're give it till Tuesday and we'll, we'll get it fixed. They fix it. I'm going to be more loyal than I was before. So right. sometimes yeah. we bring in like those, 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 you know, those, uh, those demons and say, oh, they're going to hate us because of this. But we fixed it and we did, we did a better job. We've got high level relationships, not a lot of alternatives. If you have had, you know, major service and product issues and the, the, you know, the, in the marketplace, there's a hundred different alternatives to do business with you. Then, you know, you, you do a price increase. You're just taking your chances. They're probably going to leap. So right. understanding what the risk profile looks like is important. The other is, I think important for us is that we have a tendency to remember the failure because we're the account executive or account manager right. yeah. and the customer yelled at us, you've got mm -hmm. this thing all wrong. Like, and we fixed it. And we were saying, we said earlier, you know, customers, we're, we're good at making customers happy. You're remembering something that was a blip on their radar. Right. And you're not thinking about all the other things that you do. Mm -hmm. So especially with larger accounts that you feel like are at higher risk, you need to be prepared to build a business case. So you don't walk mm -hmm. in and say, I got a price increase for you. You walk in and say, let's sit down and talk about the business. Here's mm -hmm. what we're doing for you right now. Here's mm -hmm. the value that we're adding. It would be no different than mm -hmm. if you were trying to close a big piece of business. You're not going to walk in and go, hey, you should do business with me. Here's my marketing brochures. Right. You're going to go in and you're going to build a business case. Like You're going mm -hmm. to say, here are all the reasons why you, know, you, you should do business with me. And the same thing with a price increase. Here are all the reasons why you should do business with me. And you may have to explain to them the value that you delivered because, mm -hmm. and I know this is crazy, but as soon as you say price increase, your customers have a tendency to get amnesia. So yeah. you may have to help them remember Right, all the things that you've done for them along the way, so mm -hmm. that when they're sitting down looking at it and thinking about it, and they'll think about it, they may even tell you, I'm not paying this, but they'll think about it, and mm -hmm. they'll look at their alternatives and they say, The alternative to doing business with you is I got a lot of work to do, and I got to start all over, and I got to go treat yeah. another vendor how to understand my business and what we do here, and we have to refit our, you know, our, you know, our machines, or we have to do this, or we have to try a different, you know, process and system, or I've got to retrain someone to do something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my, my, my vendor today, 
my emotional inclination was fire the bastards, right? Because yeah. I was not happy with them, right? <laughs> right, right. But, but my business side said, it took me three months to teach them to get to this point. I don't want to start all over again. Right. So I was much more calm than I was mm. with my wife the, the night before going, I'm going to fire them. The rational me stepped in and said, hey, there's a better way of handling this. I can, I can make this work and I just got to get them to see my point of view. So, so what you we have to remind do is, them of that. Yeah, exactly. We have to build that business case. Mm -hmm. In some cases, we just have to give them a good reason. Uh, uh, we talk mm -hmm. about price increase because statements in the book, but you've got to give them a, 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 a reason. And there's eight different narratives in the book around those reasons. But the point is, is that when you think about service and, and, and quality issues, mm -hmm. make sure that you're not making a, a mountain out of a molehill. And secondly... Yeah. Look at that in the context of all of the different points and data points that would define the risk that you would lose the customer in that situation or orders if you brought them the price increase. And that helps you put in perspective where you are. In some yeah, cases, you probably shouldn't have that conversation. In other cases, go give them the price increase. Yeah, it sounds like, I mean, a lot of what you're saying is, uh, is we need to really figure out the value that we're bringing, identify the value gap, and what does it mean to stay with us? And what value are we bringing? A lot of us, we haven't defined the value gap. What is it? I mean, because if they're saying, hey, I don't like the prostate case, why? Well, I just don't like it. Well, what are the other options? Well, there right. really isn't. Well, it's like we become less worried about responding if we really know what the gap is, the real gap. And then we can address the gap. And it sounds like you've got some tools for doing that. Yeah, well, before, you know, and just because you said something I, before we, we, we go yeah. forward. But it is a level of delusion that salespeople have. Yeah. I, I, and a great example is I was um, just a couple of weeks ago was with a group of young salespeople. They're all in their mid twenties, and they're they go have they have to go sell new logos, and they got to manage an existing base of customers that they work mm -hmm. with. And their company said, "You got to go get a price increase." And the, and one of the reasons is that they can get a price increase because there's a scarcity in the marketplace. I mean, this is just economics one on one, supply yeah, and demand. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the salespeople are saying, I asked them, like, what are your, what's your biggest challenge? Because these price increases, you know, we can't get them. What are you, I said, what are you, what are you worried about? What are you afraid of? Well, our customer is going to leave us. I said, well, um, if they left you, what would they do? And one of the salespeople said, well, I, you know, I don't know. They go to the competitor. I go, does your competitor have any of the things that you're selling? No. Do any of your competitors have it? No. Mm -hmm. Can anybody find any of this equipment on the marketplace? No. I said, so what's their option? And the person, you know, the kid went, uh, I guess they don't have any other options. I go, so what are you afraid of? And he went, <laughs> I don't know. But he had like, until he got that perspective. And, exactly. And the team, Stop. They, they had made up in their head that the, yeah. the, the customer had a whole lot of other places to go. And that's what I think we have to do, both as leaders and salespeople, is understand what we're looking at. And not every account's the same. If you're, if you're, if it's one of your biggest accounts, mm -hmm. which you need to get price increases on those because that's that's where the money is. But there's going to be a different risk profile for you know a huge multinational company that's doing business with you, than than you know say a small mom and pop. And if and, and you got to look at your entire business and say. How am how am I going to shift my approach based on the accounts mm -hmm. in my portfolio 
and the risk profiles of those accounts. And this isn't a, a difficult exercise to go through. Right. It would be a longer exercise on your larger accounts, but on you know mm. you could take the, the the bulk of your accounts and probably run them all through, you know, and th- through you know a risk profile tool or just a, even a thought process and understand that. But you have to you got to get perspective. So yeah. that you can get past those original fears and the things that you're making up in your head about what's going to happen right. that's not actually true. Yeah, great point. Yeah, and if you'll just stop and do that, uh, yeah. I want to talk about Tab. You have something? Uh, well, I know. I just, I just wanted to add a comment. I just love. I like how you address not only the logical answer, which is what mm-hmm. you said. Let's think about this logically, but. If that's not the problem, maybe it's an emotional problem and you care about them liking you and you need to deal with that. So it's great because you don't, you know, I think the logical gets talked about all the time, but if you don't cover the emotional, you're missing a whole lot of people and they need to know that. So yeah. I love that. Yeah, I wanted, I, I, that's exactly where I was going, Tab. I want to, because we talk a lot about, you know, good customers really in two zones are they're emotionally open or they're emotionally closed. And when they're emotionally open, Logic works. They're like, they're sitting there. You can make your court traditional sales works. I can give you the facts. I can tell you the logic. And they're going, yeah. But when they're emotionally closed because it's contempt or maybe because of the relationship with the competitor or maybe because they just, you've done something like maybe because it's a pass and they're emotionally closed. So logic's not going to work. What are your, uh, um, what do you teach or what's in the book that helps a rep address those emotionally unreceptive customers? Well, especially with a price increase. Yeah, right. They're going to be emotionally closed. The moment okay. you say price increase, emo- using using your term, they're emotionally closed. Yeah. What we have to understand is that exactly what you what you described is that people feel first and then they think. Yeah. So when we say emotionally closed, they're they're emotionally closed to listening to you, but they are emotional. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. the, the the initial response to a price increase is visceral. Like mm. we're not, we don't logically think, oh, I can't handle a price increase because if the mm. customer was thinking logically, they would go, this isn't that big of a deal. In fact, mm-hmm. I just raised the prices all my customers, right? What they really think is they think this is, you're taking something away from me. Mm. You're, you know, you're, you're pulling something that, uh, you know, out or you're, 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 you're reducing my options and human mm. pe- beings do not like things to be taken away from them and they do not like reduced options. And that's mm-hmm. how it feels mm. to the customer. So the first thing is if you want to, if, if you've got a customer that's emotionally closed, and most of them will be in a price increase situation, a little bit different in you know, new selling because the entire process of selling is about creating an emotional environment where people are receptive to your business case, which is right. logic, right? So exactly. we're, we're taking people through a system to, to, to create that emotional um, openness to, to, you know, to our business case. But in a price increase, this is your existing customer. They're just not going to be in that place. So first is just empathy, like just step into their shoes and think about if I were the customer, how would I feel if someone walked in and gave me a price increase? You would say, mm-hmm. I don't want the price increase. Yeah. Now, <laughs> but as a salesperson, that's, the that's not that, good. Exactly. But as a salesperson, the reason that you're going to get the price increase is because this is what you're good at. You're good at getting people to be open to your mm-hmm. business case. Mm-hmm. So, and the price increase is essential to the health of your business. Your, right. your job is to generate not sales, but profits. Okay. Mm-hmm. So price increases deliver massive profits to the bottom line. So you got to go get the price increase. So number one is first of all, don't do stupid stuff. Like, I mean, if you yeah. want to be emotionally open, have a relationship with them, do something for them. Like mm-hmm. if I, if I came to you and I did you a favor and then I asked you for a favor, you're much more likely to be open to doing me a favor. Right. right? If I, if I haven't done anything for you, 
why would you have a conversation? Why would you help me out? So the, I mean, if you think about it, the first thing the customer is asking is, what have you done for me lately? Right. If you haven't done anything for them lately, you got a problem. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the easiest, fastest way to get your customer to be emotionally open to a price increase is this. And you might want to write this down. Manage your accounts. Just uh, manage your accounts. Mm -hmm. Do your job. Yeah. If you do your job every single day, you have earned the price increase. Number two is... Empathy, just understanding mm -hmm. that your customer's initial response is visceral, not logical. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Don't mm -hmm. allow that to stop you. Just mm -hmm. understand it. And don't do stupid stuff that creates a visceral response that creates resentment and contempt. Right. Because as you said earlier, like once you get to the contempt stage, you're done. So once you get that, next is you have to you have to explain it in a way that they can understand. Mm -hmm. So so if you think about the visceral reaction, the visceral reaction is I'm not paying that. I'm going to find a competitor. The logical mm -hmm. reaction is if they have a little bit of space, they're probably going to go think about it and go, like I did with my vendor this morning or last night when I went to bed, I was like, I don't want to, you know, this is, this is not a smart thing for me to do to fire this vendor. Yeah. They're going to think about it and go, this doesn't make sense for us to go find another vendor. They will bring themselves to that logic. You can't, you can't explain that to them. They're going to get mm -hmm. there. Got it. But then you've got to have messaging that works for them. So for example, we know that human beings have an innate sense of fairness. Mm -hmm. So in, in an environment like we're in right now, where we're in a hyperinflationary period and price increases in a lot of cases are because all of your costs are going up, you may need to explain why your costs are going up and why it's fair for you to get the price increase. If you mm -hmm. can articulate that in a way that the other person can, can, can understand emotionally, they will say, you know what? I get you. They have empathy too. And they'll say, you know, this is fair. I, if you I give them a reason, from. you got to have a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give them a reason. Why, why are you doing this? And if you can't explain why, if you're, if you're, if you are, for example, you know, there's values, value statements can be past, present or future. If, you know, you're working with a customer and you've done a lot of things for them, let's say that you were vendor of the year last year. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that I've jumped through a lot of hoops for this customer. They've asked me to do things that are off contract, but I just get them done. Mm -hmm. um, they had, they called me the other day ago. They had an emergency. I stopped everything I was doing and helping them. So you could explain, like, I've done all these things for you. This is why I deserve the price increase. So what you're doing is tapping into reciprocity. Again, an emotional response. Mm -hmm. if, it's, um, if it's present value, right? So in a lot of cases, this isn't necessarily driven by economics, but it can be driven by the customer changing the scope of the project. So especially in project-based businesses, you're working on something. The customer says, well, I want mm -hmm. this, 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 and this. Oh, and right. I need it by then. You've got to go mm -hmm. back in and have a conversation with them and say, I can't do these things unless I get a price mm -hmm. increase. And Something all builders yeah. had to have with people building a house. I mean, all of exactly. a sudden, in the middle of the project. And a, and a lot of a lot of new home salespeople are yeah. in this situation right now, and mm -hmm. they're like they're shaking in their boots because they don't have the phone call. All right. But right. if you if you're able to explain, listen, this is what you wanted. This is going to be great for you. I'm going to give mm -hmm. you these resources to get this done. They're more likely to step into that. And then mm -hmm. future value is the easiest thing. I'm giving you this price increase, but I'm giving you these other things for the price increase. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be doing this for these reasons. But you have to explain those reasons in context of why it's relevant to your customer, not mm -hmm. just the reason. Because if you explain the reason and the customer goes, well, I'm not buying that. I don't want that anyway. Then you lose. So just like in a new sale where you have to make sure that your message is connecting the dots, it's mm -hmm. a value bridge from 
what's important to the customer to how you help the customer. The same thing with a future mm -hmm. value statement. So what that does is it allows you to leverage logic and emotion essentially at the same time, because mm -hmm. we cannot discount the fact that a price increase is an emotional cauldron for both the salesperson and the, the customer. And this, by the way, is where leaders, I think, go really, really wrong, is that they just think this is just purely a logical conversation, and it's not for either party. Mm, I love it. Really good. good stuff, Jeff. Really good stuff. I, I'm, <clears throat> I'm taking copious notes, learning from you. That's, I love the idea of the past, present, and future value, too. I think that's a good yes. way to frame up. Um, uh, and I love the empathy. And I think it's important about what you're saying about the empathy, too, is that people need to understand being empathetic to someone's point of view doesn't mean you agree with them. Right. Yeah. It's more about validating. If you can validate, validating someone's point of view is, is probably the most important thing you can do to get them to be receptive to your point of view. But if yeah. you try to say, I don't really care about your point of view, I don't care about what's happened to you, but let me just tell you what my side of the street is. Uh, that's not a good way to influence. Will that work with my wife? I just, yes. I, yes okay. It will. okay. It's hard good. to do Probably it. It's, need to work on well, that. it's Jeb, funny. You need a book on that, Jeb. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny that you're talking about that. Did you mention that? Tal? I actually do think it's harder with sometimes your existing customers talking to your existing customers because they're friends. Yes. It's, it's like totally your closest. Your real, this is a little bit more because we're more comfortable. How could you yeah. do that to me? Uh, mm -hmm. I expected this, or we have a relationship or it makes it difficult probably on both sides. And, but it's really important to, to dig this out and get what they, you can't be empathetic unless you know what they believe or they feel. Yes. So we've got to create an environment where people will share Hey, make it okay for them to share how they feel. Yeah, we did that two years ago. Or this is how do you feel about what's happening right now? And get the venom out. Like if they're, you know, if there's if there's the emotions they feel, we got to get it out so that we can then address it. And they're going to feel much better after they give they're given the opportunity to share the truth. And then we can validate their point of view. And that creates an opportunity to then share, hey, let's talk about the actual yep. value. Well, that's, you know, that's one of the ways that you can deal with, with the conflict of a price increase. Mm -hmm. And sometimes price increases, when you say you know, price increases to existing customers, if you, if you sell a, a product where people come back and they buy from you again and again and again, yeah. so they, they come in, especially inside sales teams, they come in, your prices have gone up on something that they bought a year ago, and they're screaming at you. I mean, I bought this a year ago. I've been buying for you for 10 years. I mean, how can you do this? I'm a loyal customer. You, I mean, I can't afford to pay this. Like that happens to people. Right. One of the, one of the ways that you can pull that out is just a simple question. Uh, and it just works brilliantly. You can go like, how much do you know about what's happening in this market right now? Mm -hmm. And you shut up. And the, um, the, the buyer will go, well... I know it's really hard right now. I've called several of your competitors. No mm. one has this. Um, you know, prices are going up everywhere. It's really tough. And you go, that's exactly right. It's really tough out there. And that's exactly mm. why we're in the situation we are in, because it's hard for us to get anything. But mm -hmm. we've got it, and a lot of our competitors don't because we've made these investments. And you'd be amazed that they just calm down and they buy from you. Or they say, I really don't know what's going out there. You can go, let me explain. And so you can yeah. tell them all about the marketplace, what's happening in supply chain, what might be happening with, um, you know, the cost of goods, all those things. You can walk them through that. Right. But, but suddenly when they say, I don't know, you've enrolled them. Or another way of saying that is you've, you've created a situation where instantly they're emotionally open to learning mm -hmm. more, but they said they were open, not you talking Excellent. at You're them. not pushing them yes. into mm -hmm. that conversation. I love that question. But, it, you know, it requires that you actually know. 
Yes. And I think, <laughs> I think, I think that's one of the biggest challenges is, is a lot of times people go into sales because they think it's easy. It's not easy, right? You have to know the top sellers know what they're talking about. They study the competition. They study the cut. They need to know the customer's options, not just what their option is, but all the customer's options and understand what's happening in the market. And you look at the top sellers in every industry that we've worked in there. They know what they're talking about. They're educated, right? And they're, they're, they're effective. Leave us with maybe the top two or three things, regardless of whether we're talking price increase, but just in the role of a seller, I'm going to put you on the spot. I'd love to know from your perspective, when you, when you think about either, you know, hiring sellers and what you tell them or your training or speaking, if you had to distill it down besides work ethic, right? Cause we know that's a given. That's a, that's a, you have to have work ethic. What are the th- two or three things that a seller needs to do to be successful? What it really determines success in sales. Did you nail well, it down? Yeah, that's a, that's a difficult question to ask with two or three things. But let me, yeah. um, let's talk about a couple of things that I'm working on right now because okay. we're moving into a recessionary period. Mm-hmm. And so as we start moving into a recessionary period, uh, it's like moving from summer where everything is abundant <laughs> into winter where everything is scarce. Okay. So we're, it's going to, I don't know exactly when this shit's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And when it happens, suddenly what we're doing right now, which is pretty easy, like, I mean, it's, right now it's, it's not that hard to be a salesperson. Yeah. If you can show up and smile, you're probably doing business. I mean, you're mm-hmm. probably selling things. Not a lot of salespeople are losing their jobs right now for not selling very much. Companies are holding on to you because having a human being that can breathe, you know, and fog a mirror is better than not having a human being yeah. at all because it's really hard to find good salespeople. So, right. so the you know turnover is lower right now. Salespeople are more successful right now. And in this time of abundance, life is good. Mm-hmm. That's going to change. So if we were to look at if we were to look at from that that lens and say what are great salespeople doing right now? What are rainmakers doing right now versus say rain barrels? Like people mm-hmm. who are sitting around, you know, waiting for <laughs> rain barrels versus in, rain right? barrels. Yeah, I love it. Right now, it's easy to be a rain barrel. Just wait for mm-hmm. leads to come in. Mm-hmm. But when it gets scarce, the only way you're going to survive is that you're going to have to go learn how to go out and make your own luck. So prospecting mm-hmm. is going to be at a premium. Um, it is going to be having the time to go out, spend the time picking up the phone, go out, knock on doors, go send emails, get on social mm-hmm. media, send direct messages, send smoke signals, send carry pigeons. I don't care what you got to do. Yeah. But you're going to have to be fanatical about prospecting to steal one of our terms, but you're going to have to be crazy about prospecting. And that becomes a big issue for a lot of salespeople because a lot of salespeople right now are so freaking distracted with all kinds of things that have nothing to do with selling that they're not getting a lot done and they're not paying a price for it because there's so many leads coming in the door and it's so Mm -hmm. easy that they're able to hide the fact that they're spending most of their day doing something other than selling. And filling the funnel. And this, you know, just I, I was with a group of salespeople up in New York City about four weeks ago, and we were running like just live call blocks and they're selling yeah. advertising. So, I mean, we're talking about, you know, this is a, a difficult sell, high activity sales. And so we we stop and we run to a call block. I mean, 10 minutes, right? They're supposed to make 10 dials. And I got people coming back and they made one outbound dial during the entire time. And I'm asking them, like, what did you do? And they go, well, my boss sent me an email and this happened over here. And then I got this and there was a cat video. And like, there's all of these. Cat videos, right? <laughs> I, I do like cat the cat videos. videos. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are good. So, so in, you know, I'm having this conversation with them. And this is what I said to them. And this is what I'll say to your audience. Your job is to sell stuff. 
And and I was able to say this because their leaders asked me to say this, but yeah. your job's to sell stuff. And I know you don't like me very much right now, but here's the deal. If you don't fix this problem, like I'm having a conversation and your phone buzzes and you're looking at your phone instead of me, you're going to be carrying your box out of this building to your next sales job. I guarantee it because you have to get this under control. Like yeah. this, all of these distractions are a problem for you. So mm-hmm. what I would say to, to the audience now is understanding that you get paid to sell. Mm-hmm. If you're an account manager, you get paid to expand your accounts, which means grow them and mm-hmm. retain them. Land, expand, retain. That's the motion. That's everything. Anything yeah. else that you're doing is academic. Mm-hmm. So it's how you use your time that is going to determine whether you're successful or a failure. By the way, in today's market and in the future, in today's market, it's just easier to hide those slips in discipline. But in the future market, you won't you won't be able to hide that. And when the company starts looking at the list of people who are productive, if you're being distracted by all these little beeps and buzzes and dings and bells in your world, and you're you're chasing down emails and you're doing administrative work and you're whatever you know you're on the HR's latest webinar that they're holding during the middle of the sales day, you know if you're doing those things, then you're going to have a big problem. So the number one thing that you can do right now and in the future to make sure that you stay at the top of the ranking reports is to remove all of the distractions from your world. Block your day out in like high intensity time blocks, do them in 15 minute blocks. If you got to do that, that's great. Put stuff away, get rid of the distractions and focus all your time and attention on selling. Mm-hmm. There'll be people who are better at doing it than you are, but I can guarantee you this. If you are spending more of your day on selling activities, you'll get more hits. If you get more hits, you're going to get more runs. Very simple, very basic. And then Mm -hmm. you can hone those skills. So attention control will be at a premium as we move into the next economic downside. I love that. Attention control. Attention control. Eat the frog, Tab. Eat the frog. (laughs) Prospecting is eating the frog. You got to start off. So if you block the time, it's crazy. Covey was right with that three rock illustration. Oh, yeah. Where you put the three big rocks in first and all the little pebbles mm-hmm. fill around it. And the one of the big rocks in sales is prospecting. And if you don't fill the funnel and you don't protect time, but it is so easy to miss that because of all the other distractions. And I guarantee you, if you say to your boss or somebody else in the company that's wanting your time, I don't have time for that because I've got to sell. Yep. They they probably won't say, oh, well, don't sell, do this. Yeah, quit that yeah. craziness. We don't need any new revenue. I mean, how yeah, many if times have yeah. somebody tells me that, I'm like, I love you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I love if your you. dance card is full of appointments, they're not going to go, oh, cancel all your appointments. Uh, they're right. exactly. going to do that. No, right. no. Jeb, this has been amazing. I mean, it was hard to get you to talk. And that was a little struggle <laughs> at the beginning. We did have to, to try really to pull, pull it out of you. You know, pull. some guests, you know, you got to ask a yeah. lot of questions <laughs> and they don't really open up, but, but you, you did a pretty good job with that. No, <laughs> no yes. you were an amazing guest. I loved it. I love your passion. I love your message. Uh, such good stuff. Thank you for serving our audience. Yeah. Um, Tab. I, and I wanted to else? say one more thing, Jeb. I, I love your sales gravy podcast. I need to just give it a little plug. It's fantastic. I use Thank it with my, I, I'm always trying to work with my, my training staff, you know, with my team of consultants and I've used some of those podcasts to inspire my team. And thank uh, you. Thank you. I appreciate what you do. Yeah, you're very friend. kind. You inspired me to get another. I've got episodes in the bank that I got to put up. Yeah, I noticed <laughs> that. You're getting a little behind. You gotta I write, know. Well, you got to write two I'm, books a month. Two books. I've been writing books. Run an international company one, so. and yeah. do a yeah. podcast and, 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 and stay married. You've got nothing. That's right. Yes. All right, my Thank friend. You, best of luck. Thank you for serving the sales community so well. And I uh, hope to talk to you again soon, my friend. Mm-hmm.